The following is a quarantine recording presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, and I'm back from vacation, and I'm Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, post-vacation bliss, and the party of, hell nah, we don't want progress? <laughs> we cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and reconstruction. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99 because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. She ain't no innocent, never kidding, Jen. She's committed sins and ain't finishing. What? Because of her disposition, she ain't subject to criticism. All right, y'all. So we have two guests this week. So when I say our guests... It's plural, honey. First, let me introduce the founder and executive director of the Me Too movement. She has been working at the intersection of racial justice and gender equity for nearly three decades. And she, along with Brene Brown, just released an anthology of essays titled You Are Your Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience. Welcome back to the pod, Tarana. Hey. Hey. Yay. I'm so glad to have you. Also joining us today is a movement facilitator, a writer, an embodiment teacher, and like a wizard, a wizard genius, if you will. (laughs) They are the founding director of the Embodiment Institute and the Black Embodiment Initiative as well as the host of Finding Our Way podcast. I love this podcast, by the way. They are also a contributor to Tarana and Brene's new collection. And I am so happy to have them on the pod today. Please welcome Prentice Headpill. Prentice, what up? Hey now. Hey. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. So I got to ask y'all, we start this pod every week with the same question. We are still in a panorama. A panini, if you will. (laughs) And (laughs) they still are saying that we need to wrap it up and back it up. Although now we're hearing that you don't have to wrap it up outside, but let's just keep the same rules until we really get out this thing. So I got to ask y'all, what has your pandemic life been like? Have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? Oh, pandemic life. Um, 
well, clearly more domestic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yes. Do tell, not, do tell. <laughs> I'm not really mad at it, though. I like being home. Mm. So I'm, you know, it gets, you know, when it gets right when it got to the, the breaking point, things had started easing up and I could go out a little bit. But um, I've gotten heavy into ancestry research, Ooh. doing my ancestry. So that's been my, like, hobby I want to like spend a month or two just traveling down south and going to the Caribbean and like tracing my folks. But yeah, I'm real. I'm real chill. I, I spend a lot of time with my partner, which is interesting. <laughs> Ooh, this panini. Interesting. Ooh, baby. Like more like appendicitis. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's cool. I, I I mean, we've also gotten really close too because of that. But also realized like, oh, separation is normal and natural, and we need that. Prentice, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Tell me about yeah. your pandemic life. What's going on? Let me tell you. Two months before all of this hit, we moved out to the country in Durham, which yes. was. The best decision one could have made. Correct, correct. <laughs> Anticipating this foolishness. So um, we are full on growing food um, in a real way. I'm reluctant to call it farming because I feel like <laughs> that's the next level that I'm not on. But Got it is it. a large garden. Um, so we're doing a lot of, a lot of food uh, creation, production, and yeah, just being home, not being on those airplanes. I was Listen. on a lot of airplanes before, Ooh, and man. now all my clothes are in one place. Uh, you know, so yeah. uh, getting into rhythms and and having habits. It's that's a whole thing unto itself. So mm-hmm. that's me in this oh, pandemic. I love this so much. So tell me about the new skills that Miss Rona has given you. I mean, I remember in the beginning of this, right? Like people were baking bread for the first time, doing the sourdough starters. My sourdough never started, but that's a whole other conversation. We were planting gardens, right? I was doing my own manicures because, you know, I'm serious about my nails. In case we enter into the apocalypse, which I feel like we're probably already there. Yeah. <laughs> Can you let me know I'm what like, y'all bring to the table? Like yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, if we are, if we in the episode of Survivor... For a long-ass time, what y'all bring into the table? <laughs> Prentice, let's start with you. What you bring into the table? You got a farm. You over Look, here healing. I mean, what else What else you I'm, got? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all ask so much of me. But I, I am out here. Um, over the weekend, I was building some shelves in my shed. Mm. That My father-in-law built the shed from scratch. And I was building the shelves inside of it. And uh, what else? I am now into small engine repair, y'all. I'm out here because I've got a mower that is probably 10 years old. So I have been under the mower, y'all. Do y'all understand what I'm saying right now? I I understand how it works, y'all. This is amazing. I have definitely butched up. I like, you know, a butch level has like exceeded beyond you know what I mean? It's a real I deal. Yo, I feel so that makes much. me feel so inadequate. Like, I just... So so we moved during the pandemic. And it's been really interesting to um, to not be in the heart of the city anymore. I, but I, I worked so much during this pandemic that I don't think I had yeah. time. Like, my little, my little ancestry stuff, you know, that was my little sanctuary for myself. 
But I feel, I'm like, I don't know if I got any new skills. I did just recently. I'm going to add this because the pandemic's still going. I did recently start riding a bike again. Hey. hey. Outside? Oh, like yes, outside? Yes, outside. You know what? Y'all yes. made me feel so good. Yeah, I sure. went to, so my partner, he's a um, former cyclist, like heavy, heavy, heavy into it. And used to be a bike messenger in New York, if you oh, know okay. anything yeah, about yeah. For sure. For sure. that world. For sure. He's that kind of rider. And so he's been dying to get us bikes. And that was my early Mother's Day present. And so we went out, got the whole business, the helmet, the little booty pants, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I'm big. I'm also big into cycling. Oh, I'm are obsessed. you? Well, I got on the Peloton last March and now I'm obsessed. Oh. And then I had a friend who got into cycling who was like, well, you know, if you're on the Peloton, you really need to get you a bike. I was like, I don't need to be outside. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get back into it. <laughs> Let's jump right in, y'all. Let's jump right in because I really want to talk to you both about how important this book is. And the book, for people who are listening, is called You Are Your Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience. And I think this book is right on time. I got to be honest. Mm -hmm. I text both y'all this morning, eight o'clock in the morning, my time, like, (laughs) this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So I haven't gotten to read all the essays, but I'm going to. The ones that I have been able to read so far, they're just profound, thought-provoking, beautiful. I don't think I've read anything recently besides stuff that you write, Prentice, because, you know, I'd be following you. Mm -hmm. But I haven't been able to read anything about shame and resilience from a Black perspective. And I didn't realize how hungry I was for it until it was in my hands. So I just got to ask y'all, you know, Tarana, let's start with you. How did this book even come to be? Because I know you out here busy. You got a bunch of stuff going on. (laughs) Do tell how all of a sudden you were like, actually, we need to do an anthology. (laughs) Do tell. It's so so crazy because it was literally like that. <laughs> so I met Renee a couple of years ago, like 2018. But I had loved her work for a long time, used her work for a long time. And personally, the tools that she had researched and come up with around shame and vulnerability, I thought they, they, they were great. And I've leaned on them over the years. So last summer, when all of the, when we had the uprising and after George Floyd's murder, Breonna Taylor, and you know, things were really, really intense, it was bothering me, quite frankly, that all, we, all I saw, or I saw too much of, rather, on the, across the internet, social media, online, was, oh my gosh, Black Lives Matter, we have to be anti-racist now, mm-hmm. you know? And you probably, all of you probably experienced this. My, my, my social media numbers doubled and tripled. I had all these new white followers and everybody was in my comments like, teach me. Thank you so much for educating me. And I, and I don't, I'm, I don't want to, I have to stop doing that. It's no voice, shame. But... No, it's no shame. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to shame a phenomenon. People, right? Yeah, you're describing yeah, a phenomenon. It happened. But, you know, and I was like, okay, that's cool. But let's take a step back for a second because what we actually just experienced, because there's a way that that also diminishes the actual experience, right? When people are, Rushing to be like, okay, that happened. Oh my gosh, what do we do now? Like, if we take a step back, what actually happened is for the umpteenth, I'm just going to use that Mm -hmm. (laughs) infinite Mm -hmm. number, Mm -hmm. time in this country, Black people had to watch another life get snuffed out, right? And we had to, and then that anxiety and worry and fear and rage that fills our bodies 
around what's going to happen. Will there be justice? What does justice look like? Who's going to be next? Am I safe? All of these questions that I knew that we were having mm-hmm. behind closed doors, on phone, via text, blah, blah, blah. Nobody stopped to ask, are we okay? Don't send me, like, I'm, people were sending like $5 Starbucks gift certificates and shit like that. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Don't randomly white person me and be like, I'm just checking in. I know it's really intense. But you don't, it's like asking somebody, how you doing and during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. You don't really want to know. <laughs> you know right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, and, and this wasn't a time for like niceties. And so long story short, it was, it was like, I tend to turn to Renee's work when I'm trying to figure out how to be vulnerable, how to be better at vulnerability, that kind of thing. And now I had a relationship with her. And what I had, I had gushed and gushed and gushed about how much I loved her work. But I, I had never said to her, your work is dope. Mm-hmm. Your work is necessary. Your work is beautiful and needed. But as a Black woman, I have a hard time finding myself in it. Right? I have a hard time when you say, when you talk about shame being, um, I always mess the definition up, but it's you know having to do with things that, are not real, essentially, that you get assigned, that you assign to yourself. I'm like, but my skin color is real. Mm-hmm. Right? And I can't do anything about that. <laughs> I can't change that, right? So some of these things don't quite land um, the way I need them to. And so we had a real heart-to-heart about it. And, you know, Brene is just dope. Like, as a human being, I really, really appreciate who she is. She's so real and, and honest, like, we can have real hard conversations, which is I've never had a, a white woman that I called a close, close friend until recently. Um, now I got about three of them. I'm like, look at life. <laughs> <laughs> Comes at you fast. Listen. <laughs> you know? But it's because they're good people who I don't have to be anything but myself with, and she's one of them. And so, um, yeah, we had this really good conversation. And in the end, I was like, well... She said, I had heard this before and I've really been thinking a lot about it. And I'm like, well, you know, I know some folks that might have something to say <laughs> about this topic if you're open. And that's how it kind of started. And she was like, yo, let's do it. Mm. Absolutely. She, Hell yeah. That was her response. Yes. <laughs> you know, she from, she's from Texas. Hell yes. yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of Texas, Prentice, Shut let me up. bring you up in this conversation. <laughs> now, first, Prentice, before I ask you this question, let me just say. You are an incredible writer. You're an incredible writer. You really are. Mm -hmm. You really, really Mm -hmm. are. That just hit me real hard. It's the truth. You don't play, Alicia. You don't play with the words. You know I don't. So that I know you don't. So that (laughs) I'm taking that in. Please do. Please do, because you're an incredible writer. And you wrote a brilliant essay called The Wisdom of Process, where you're discussing shame and trauma and resilience a little bit differently than I've heard it talked about before. And what I really loved about your piece, Prentice, is that you don't advocate for a destination. Like you really actually get inside of this thing that's like, what is the pathway? <laughs> what mm-hmm. is the pathway? We, we always try to talk about, okay, well, here's where you're going to get to on the other side. And that's good. <laughs> right. That's like good for motivation to actually do it. But sometimes people want to skip steps and that kind of shit drives Mm -hmm. me crazy, as you know. You know, you got to crawl before you walk, as they say. So I think my question here, Prentice, is this. I want to start with this thing that you brought up in your essay where you talk about how 
for your own experience and for many Black families, I know this was true in my household, we get told to keep our business out the streets. Ooh, yes, indeed. But in keeping it out the streets, like we also don't discuss it. I- I've had conversations about my own family where, you know, we've had a um, a legacy in my family of of women being sexually assaulted. And so much of that is because we never talk to each other about it. That's right. Mm-hmm. So That's it right. was like, don't put your business in the streets. But it was also like, don't bring it to the kitchen table. Don't bring it to the hey. house. Right. You know, don't, don't bring it to the um, to the clothesline where we have our most intimate conversations. We're really just saying, don't talk about it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you were trying to do in your essay and how, you know, how shame is playing out, not just in our homes, but also in our justice work and in our liberation work? Mm. 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 Yeah, you know, you, you really touched on something that I was I was really wanting to convey with the piece in that, you know, the things that we don't put your business out in the streets or don't let nobody know what's going on. It's like that is actually a, a move that we learned around safety. Yeah. And that's what I talk about mm-hmm. in the piece. I don't want to um, minimize that the reason we're taught that is to stay safe. And when it gets calcified, when it gets stuck, it's, it becomes this shame that doesn't let us mention anything because we're also looking at ourselves through the eyes or from the perspective of those who would harm us or oppress us. So when we start looking at ourselves that way, then we start getting this shame that really calcifies around the things that we really need to um, talk about amongst ourselves even. So that's what this book really meant to me. It was like, what are the conversations we need to be having amongst ourselves so that we can, so we can, it's not even just let go, but expel these things that actually don't serve us, don't belong to us. So I wanted to make that, that distinction that mm-hmm. there's a reason why, and we've let it go to the point where we don't say what's real. And by not saying what's real, we're losing our capacity to really heal and connect with one another. So, um, Yeah, that's what I was really going for. And I think I also just want to say in here real fast, my gratitude to Tarana for the vision for this book. I feel like I haven't even really, I kind of texted you about it, but (laughs) that's about it. But, you know, I was trying to play it cool. I'm going to be real with y'all. I was trying to play it cool when Tarana was like, "Um, hey, I'm putting together this book. I wonder if you want to write a piece. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds cool. But I'm like, Sarada Burke, okay. who I am just like, who I just honor so much yes. for the way that she does what she does. And I'm telling y'all this as someone that has been in contact with her, her heart, her vision, to have her have this vision for something that's so powerful for us, a place for us to tell our stories. You know, for her to ask me, I was just like, are you kidding me? And then to be paired up with Brene Brown, who, you know, as someone who works with emotions and the emotional terrain, I'm like, I love Brene. <laughs> Brene is like a is an emotions wizard too. You know what I mean? In my mind, she's someone that I have conversations with. So for the two of them to be like, yeah, we want you to do this. I I was like, I said to Toronto, oh, that's cool. I appreciate that. Mm. Y'all. I love that. Y'all. I love that. Come oh, on. I love that. Inside, I was like, ah. That's how I was inside. <laughs> when you said yes, I was like, ooh, thank you. This is what we needed. It was like the icing on the cake. (laughs) It's an incredible, incredible accompilation of folk. And, you know, this is a testament to the collective vision and wisdom 
that each of you are conjuring and helping to push forward. Let me ask this, because um, another thing that really hit me in my stomach, uh, Tarana, this one's for you, although Prentice, I would love for you to also weigh in on this. You know, your essay, Tarana, is so real, and you're looking, you're talking to yourself, not as a kid, although we've done those exercises and I love those, Mm -hmm. but you're talking to your future self, which we don't often get asked to do right? We're often asked to look back rather than look forward. And I have said many times that um, our muscles around being able to clearly envision the future that we want are totally atrophied. And Mm. it leads us, right, to being planted in place, but we tell ourselves that we're moving forward. So here's the thing. Tarana, in your essay, you said, we're sick. And I have often said, mostly colloquially, but I mean it, you know, when I see particular things happening out in the world, I say, we're not well. Mm -hmm. And when you, when I saw that in the page, it just hit me in my gut, right? Because as you said in your essay, there's all these things we want to do to justify why rather than just naming, right? We're not well. And what does that mean, right? For our collective futures, whether we can even have a future. So Talk to me a little bit about this piece of what it means for us to invest in wellness and what it means to invest in being unwell, which I think we're we're doing both of. Um, talk yeah. to us a little bit about kind of the the vision and direction there. I did not know what I was going to write until I started writing, right? So I stopped my memoir, which I'm just finishing, to write, to, to work on the book. So I was in my feelings. <laughs> I was in my like mm-hmm. stuff. And writing the memoir is all going back. It's all looking back, looking back, looking back. But as I said in the essay, that doctor, this another Black woman who was the straightest shooter, <laughs> said, if you don't make a drastic change in your life, you will die. And so when I started thinking, I, I want to be alive in the future. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, I need to figure out how to, I want to make a promise to myself, both now and then. Mm-hmm. I'm to be, uh, as I couldn't think of a better way to say it, I'm like, I'm fucked up right now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I know I don't have to be. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a pathway out of this. So I wanted to talk to myself in the future to, to like, mm-hmm. check in. It's almost like... Uh, is it Terminator? What is the woman that go to the future and try to, mm-hmm. you know, I just want to like check myself. But I also want to, I also want to talk to the Black women, right? Because I know so many of us, so many sisters I know right now who the world sees as dynamic, amazing, powerful, and they are, are struggling privately, quietly. Um, and so, because so much of the world says so much of our worth is tied to what we can produce, right? Our worth is directly linked to the to our work, and the work is killing us. Mm-hmm. And as I, you know, it's not a secret now; it's in the book. But I had this stroke mm-hmm. last year that revealed another neurological condition, and it was like, yo, everything in my life is tied to stress and anxiety, like everything. Like I'm gonna tell you. 
the day that I went to the dentist, not that I talk about anything, was the day I started writing. Mm. <laughs> and the dentist actually, are you stressed? I was like, oh yeah, this shit is this is this is too much. That's the most private conversation, right? It's like money and health. We're not, we don't really want to go into those That's right. conversations. Um, and I and I thought, and Princess knows this well. It was it was like I remember when I let them read it. They was like, "Oh, word, you gonna you gonna go here?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "I think so. This is what came out, you know." And it was in a way giving me permission to go there. Mm-hmm. Like I had to write it out to kind of give myself permission to take care of myself. I want to invest in my own wellness. I want to. I want to live, and I also want to produce. I want to work, but I don't want my worth to be tied to that. I want that to be my choice and my offering. This, this, I keep calling this book an offering. It was work, but I really wanted to do this work as an offering to Black folks. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel good. Not the deadlines and the pressure and the da 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 and this and that. And it's going to be used to that. Yes, that's cool. But it's like, yo, I want to, I want to give something to my people mm-hmm. on my terms, and and it also feeds me. So. Yeah, I, I I definitely think investing in our wellness, and I think we definitely invest in not being well. That there's a part in the book I don't know about heart, but you know, have you have you figured out your path to liberation yet? Right, and this black girl magic, and thank a black woman, and strong black women, and all these things they throw at black women is about those are about our labor, not our liberation. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's it's like, but we're so invested in that, and those are the things that are making us unwell. I'm I'm giving myself permission. I think. I'll ask if we can take it out later. But, you know, Tasha Brown is one of my best friends in the whole world. I love her so we've been, much. Yeah, we've been friends for 30 years, right? And Tasha, like me, got thrust into the spotlight over the last year or whatever for the election. And is, Tasha's running, 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 running herself in the ground. We talk, mm-hmm. you know, as much as we can. That's right. And I'm trying to be, a, I'm saying to her, like, please use me as a cautionary tale. You remember how my, my calendar was. You saw how crazy I was ripping and running. Only because the pandemic happened, it kind of put a, a slow to... And I can, I can rattle off a bunch of names right now that people know. And it's like, yo, we're not okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we show up every time you call. Producers call, a so-and-so call, such-and-such call. We need you. We need you to rally. And everybody was like, Georgia saved us. And the Black women of Georgia saved us. And then there's right. Stacey Abrams and all the rest of that. But y'all not really invested in our wellness, <laughs> you know? If any one of us Black women leaders decide we're going to take a step back or we want to invest in ourselves and in our, in our, a sanctuary for ourselves, mm. um, uh, you know, anything started. that's... I know, I'm trying not to go there, but uh, like direct wellness for ourselves, then it's a problem. Yep. Yep. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop because that's, you know... Well, I don't want us to stop, actually, because... Um, you know, this is very personal and it is very much a part of the fabric of this country that black people build it. Right. But Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't get to um, benefit from the fruits of our labor. Right. Mm -hmm. We're always supposed to be altruistic and stoic. Right. Um, As we're being abused, as we're being attacked. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get attacked for trying to do the thing that America keeps saying it does. And so here's the thing I want to offer here. Prentice, I think in your essay, you talk a lot about um, forgetting. And mm-hmm. I have often said that America is powered by amnesia. It's a constant okay. 
process <laughs> of forgetting in order to remain intact. It can't exist without it, right? Yeah. Um, and we sometimes as movements adopt this amnesia too. I said in my own book, right, that for a lot of people, movements start where they entered. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. we just... You know know what I mean? And I I say that with a lot of love and compassion, but I'm also like, yo, actually time is much longer than us. We, you know, everybody says we stand on the shoulders, but like, what do you think that fucking means? So, (laughs) right. So I want to ask this question as we're kind of starting to wrap up here, which is what is possible when we interrupt this amnesia? in ourselves, in our communities, in our movements? Like, what's the potential there? Is there an opportunity to decalcify? Is there an opportunity to launch this process that you're encouraging from us, Prentice? Like, what would happen if we dislodged amnesia? Would we survive it? Hmm. Ooh, what an amazing question. Um, and I love that you you call it amnesia. I talk about denial, the forgetting denial, and the violence that is required to keep that denial in place. Because when people start remembering and they start speaking to it, you got to do everything you can to suppress the memory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much. Of, it's so deeply embedded in our culture, and I think that, um, and we don't know how much it's embedded in us. Even That's folks right. that are you know, we're involved in movement or, you know, doing work that we feel like is is intended to change things, we also have that so deeply embedded in us. So I think that what remembering does, well, I'll just say what I really want for us is range. Mm. Come mm-hmm. on. Come on. That's I have a actually... whole thread called We Have the Range, honey. It's a Come whole on. thread. It's a thread. Yes. <laughs> that's what I'm yes. talking about. <laughs> That's what I, when I talk about liberation, when I talk about, especially my work, the contribution that I'm trying to make and the contribution I feel like I'm in the lineage of is, is ensuring that we have the range to live the lives that we are intended to live, to do the things we are intended to do, that there's, there's a range to this. And what oppression does, what systemic racism and patriarchy, all these things do is that they try to limit everybody's range of experience and they try to concentrate certain experiences in certain bodies or certain communities or on certain blocks. We want these people to experience this thing. So what I want really, when I talk about liberation, I talk about liberation for black people is for us to have access to the full range of life, Mm. all the things that come with it. And that is the, the joys and the sorrows, the grief and the love. I want us to have, I want us to have it in in not equal measure, but it, it, the way it comes to us. I just want us to experience it in that way. And I think for, for movements, gosh, when we disrupt denial, I think it, it, it soothes the ego. Mm-hmm. The ego that gets so out of control because it, 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 it just wants to be remembered solely or in an isolated sense. I think when we can remember we can exist within and alongside. We can see where we are related and where we support. Um, I think it. I think some of that gets soothed there, and we remember. I think you know. So I think what what is, has been a significant contribution from you in particular, Alicia, is that power becomes so much less mysterious. 
You know, when we remember the way that we have have been with it, have wielded it, what it has done, what it really is, we can remember around the paradigm that we live inside of now and can feel, you know, I, f- I feel like power is just a really palpable thing. And so I know when I'm, I know when I'm in it. I know when yeah. I got it. You yeah. know, I, I know yeah. when I'm using yeah. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I want us to remember that really viscerally and how it multiplies in connection with each other. I think that is part of what remembering, resisting denial and that massive push for us to forget impact, to forget relationship, to forget where we are accountable, to forget all of that, that push to resist that and to remember each other and to remember what is here. I just think it opens us up for just a vast and deep life, the lives that we deserve. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Ain't Gonna Do this week. Number one, act like racism isn't woven into the fabric of this nation. So this week, President Joe Biden gave his first address to a joint session of Congress and outlined what his administration has accomplished in the last 100 days. We'll come back to this, but I want to touch on a bigger story. So bear with me here. All right, so... President Joe Biden gives his speech and Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina gives the Republican response to the speech. Now, in it, this dude who, mind you, is one of 11 black people to ever serve in the United States Senate. And if I'm not mistaken, the only black Republican currently serving in the United States Senate and the first black person to be elected to Congress from the Deep South since Reconstruction, you know, just 156 years ago or so. But this dude had the motherfucking nerve to say in his speech that even though he has experienced discrimination, which no nigga, you are experiencing racism right now in the job you have right now, but I get it. You call it exceptionalism and we call it racism. Yes, even though he has experienced discrimination, he says America is not a racist country. He goes on to rant about how things done changed and how we're fighting discrimination with discrimination because kids are learning in school about race and ethnicity. Now, besides the fact that there's always going to be somebody Harriet would have shot, honey, what we ain't going to do this week is have our first Black and Indian woman vice president back his ass up. Now, Please don't get it confused. I do not, and I repeat, I do not have more bars for Vice President Harris than I do dumbass Senator Scott. But I do have to address this because this is some shit Black people do that we need to fucking stop doing. So hear me clearly. This is a racist country, period. You cannot and must not talk out both sides of your neck about this one because, my friends, To do so would be opening your mouths to be loud and wrong and historically inaccurate. The fucking Constitution is racist. Remember the three-fifths clause? You know, the one that said that Black people were only to be counted as three-fifths of a human being? What do you think that is? Eccentric? No, motherfucker, it's fucking racist. The government, that shit is racist too. 
It was intentionally designed to keep black people out. That's not rhetoric. That's a motherfucking fact. Now, y'all ain't got no business talking this bullshit. None whatsoever. And I have said it before and I will say it again. Racism is about rigged rules and the culture that justifies those rigged rules for the purpose of distributing power. That's it. Don't get it confused, lovelies. And these bars ain't just for Madam VP or Senator Scott. It's for all y'all who try to put lipstick on a pig. Guess what? Pigs don't like lipstick and lady don't like no bullshit like this. Okay, so let's move on because this shit got me hot, 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 hot. Now, let's talk about what we want more of this week, though. Number one, y'all, I don't know if we want more of this per se, but I am serving up the tea that Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms announced this week that she will not be running for another term as Atlanta mayor. And something don't smell right. We'll be back here with the dish on this next week, but suffice it to say, Lady likes it when we tell the whole story, and there is most certainly more to this story. I can guarantee you that. Other things that Lady loves this week? The American Families Plan that President Biden announced last week. This plan would guarantee four additional years of public education for everyone in America. That's right, two years of preschool and two years of community college. It would also guarantee access to quality, affordable child care where no family pays more than 7% of their income to care for a child. 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave and child tax credits. Look here. Look at us catching up to the civilized world. Lady loves. Love y'all so much. And literally, for those of you who are listening, this is the book, y'all. So get in it, get with it. Tell us how can people find y'all on the socials and how can people get on the book tour and get involved in the stuff? I know there's some resources in the back of the book too. Like well, the book, you know, is available where all books are sold, wherever you get your your physical or your audio books. We haven't really planned a, a book tour. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, appendicitis got us by the throat. Yes. But. Appendicitis got us by the Yes, 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 But we've been doing, you know, lives. I plan on doing a series. And Prentice doesn't know this. I'm like, look at an email. But I plan on doing a few lives and um, like YouTube talks with the contributors to the book so we can delve into the content some more. Because I do think it is something that needs to be like sussed out some of these mm-hmm. things people like like Prentice's essay um Mama Tanya's essay mm-hmm. uh T- Tanya's essays like I don't want to start they all really really oh, good mm-hmm. yeah all of us the names are in the book people can look everybody up on social I'm on social by my name Tarana Burke <laughs> Prentice, what about you? Where are you at? Where can people find you on the socials? Yo, you can really only find me on Instagram. Also, I think it's Prentice Hempel. I think it's my name. And that is Prentice with one S. We don't need that extraneous S or that C-E. Just one S, real simple. Um, That's the best way to find me. (laughs) Well done. I really appreciate y'all so much. Oh, thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. 
That's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I'll be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where you used to have a commute. We appreciate you joining us. And please, let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like. And tell us what you ain't gonna take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. On Facebook, we are at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about the things you hear about on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. As always, let us give a special shout out to our sister, Jahari Farrar, for making sure the people get what they need from the socials. We appreciate you. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you heard here today. (laughs) I've missed y'all. I'm back from my vacation. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Latirics. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. As usual, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, you bet your ass America is a racist country and ain't no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's right. I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman is. She won't speak less it's something worse. Saying don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way. Her hips way furiously. Never luxurious. Carries herself like a... Love y'all.